Grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you didn't get a handout on the way in, you can raise your hand and the Connections team will get you a set of notes. But uh, we've got, (laughs) we're going to cover verses 10 through 13. And uh, it's a lot. We've got a long way to go in the short time that we have. And so let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to help us do what they say can't be done, all right? Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We need you. And God, we ask that you would open our understanding this morning. Help us to see the privilege that we have to enter into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Lord, help us to see it for what it is. Help us to embrace it. Lord, we want to be good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, you, you're God. We're your people. And we're trusting you because you alone can speak to our hearts. You alone can open our understanding and and pour out your spirit and conviction to motivate us to be followers, not according to what we think or feel, but according to what your word envisions, commands, lays out for our life. We just confess that we need you this morning. Lord, if there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, we're praying that today would be the day of salvation, that today they'd be done with the excuses and the reasons for why Uh, They think they can wait until later to surrender their life to Christ. Lord, have your way with every heart and life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last time we saw the Apostle Paul telling the growing leader to consider what he's saying. He's saying, Timothy, consider the conclusion of the call. I mean, think about what I just told you. If the steward, if the athlete, if the soldier, if the farmer all ply their trade in the face of hard work. They have to pay a heavy price if they're gonna do well, if they're gonna have reward, if there's gonna be fruit. What do you think that's gonna mean for your life? You're gonna get saved and then have a nice, easy, cushy, pleasant existence, no problems, no pushback, no, 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 no counter agent, no counter movement by the enemy. Then he says in verse eight, remember, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So we saw that you can't actually believe, right? If if you don't believe that Jesus Christ literally physically rose from the dead, you're not saved. You are still lost, you are yet in your sins. Romans chapter 10 verse nine says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, you may have prayed a prayer asking for salvation, but you were talking to no one. You must believe on a risen Savior. You must call on the risen Lord Jesus Christ for mercy, forgiveness, and salvation. Verse nine, Paul says, wherein I suffer trouble. Paul's a preacher of the gospel. He's a maker of disciples, and he got pushback for it. He says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. So Paul is telling the growing leader here that if you're gonna be all about the ministry of the gospel, it's gonna come with suffering. Make no mistake about it. Uh, There will be pushback. Are you willing to engage? Are you willing to suffer it? Now praise the Lord, the word of God is not bound. It's unbound, it's alive and at work. We saw that last week, and this is what we finished up with, Isaiah 55, 11. The promise is that God's word does not return void. Isaiah 55, 11 says, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. 
And so we finish with just the idea that what we want to do is get the lost in the Word of God with us. Get the, get, have the lost, get, get their eyes fixed on the Word of God because it's alive, it's at work. It will do the heavy lifting. Now we come to verse 10. Now your key here is endure, right? There's, there's, there's key, uh, key words in this passage. Consider, remember, endure. So now Paul is telling the growing leader that in order to get the gospel of the resurrected Christ out, you must be willing to endure. Just like Paul was enduring suffering in verse nine, suffering trouble like he was a common criminal and all he's been is obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to endure. You have to endure the suffering that the world heaps on you, endure the grief that they heap on you when they treat you like a common criminal. Paul says, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In other words, Paul is saying to you as a growing leader, you better embrace the suck. It's gonna be tough, but you need to settle into it. Paul is in chains, he is doing hard time. He's in the hole. And he's saying, I'm, tr- I'm suffering trouble like an, e- I mean, I'm in bonds like a common criminal. Why would Paul endure all of that? Look at verse 10. Why does he do it? Why, does he, why is he embracing the suck? Why is he going through such hard time? Look at verse 10, why? It's for the elect's sake. Look at the verse. He did it for you. Notice, he's not saying, verse 10 does not read, therefore I do all things for my disciples' sake. He's not saying that for the people that I'm personally investing in. That's why I'm suffering all this. No, he says for the elect's sake. You know what you are? You're part of the elect. He endured all of that for us. Why? Because you're worth it. Are you part of the elect? If you're saved, you are. Now, verse 10 would not make sense if Paul were a Calvinist. In Calvinism, the elect are saved no matter what. It wouldn't matter if anyone had to endure anything. They'd be saved no matter what. Those that are lost would be lost no matter what. But think about this. Paul suffered for the elect's sake. That's every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who the elect are. He was suffering for you. Think about it. Paul preached the gospel to the Gentiles, didn't he? That got passed down to you. Praise the Lord for the Apostle Paul. God allowed him to suffer so that he'd get the gospel out to the Gentile world so that you and I could have the precious word of God. Because of Paul, right, he was willing to suffer because you are worth it. This is the key, you're God's elect. God knew you, he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, he saw you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse four says that God chose us in Jesus. He did it before the foundation of the world. What did he choose us to? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God saw you, he knew you. He completely had, he completely had you in mind before he ever started creation. He saw you receive, he saw you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so he received you right back and he made some decisions about you. First Peter chapter one verse two says that we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Elect according to his foreknowledge, his foresight. He said, okay, I, I, I see you. 
I see you, I, 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 see your, I see your conviction of sin. I see your reception of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got plans for you. I've got plans for you for all eternity. So now Romans 8 verse 33 now says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justify it. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who can blame you for anything? God's already made you at Calvary just as if you'd, just as if you'd never sinned. Just as if you had the righteousness of Christ. Who can blame you for anything now? You're part of the elect. Talk about having a healthy self-worth. Before salvation, I was worth nothing, but now that I have Christ as my Lord and Savior, well, now I'm his son. I'm worth everything. I'm worth God himself laying down his life, shedding his blood to buy me back from the sin that condemns me to eternal hell. I am worth the Apostle Paul suffering like a common criminal so I could have the word of God this morning. I'm worth it. I am a child of the living king. You are too. If you're born again, you're a child of the king. God decided that you were worth suffering for. When Paul was warned to stop preaching the gospel, he decided, nope. I know there's more generations of believers to come. They're worth it. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Notice verse 10 doesn't say that they attain, that they might attain the salvation. No, 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 no. Salvation is something that you must obtain. Do you see the difference? You don't, you don't, get it. You don't go after it. You have to receive it. Okay, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we're saved, right? By grace, you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's how you obtain it, not of works. You can't attain it, lest any man should boast. Does everybody see the difference of the words there? See, Satan doesn't doesn't want folks coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, man, I'll suffer anything so that people can have the opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that begs the question this morning, do you feel the same way? Do you think the same way that future brothers and sisters in Christ are worth your suffering, worth your hardship, worth your prayers and fastings, worth worth you crying out to God over their eternal souls? Do you think future brothers and sisters in Christ are worth suffering like a common criminal for the sake of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is Christ worth it? Are, his fu- are these future brothers and sisters, are they worth it? And if in the heart, if in your heart of hearts, if you know the answer is no, you've got the wrong kind of self-worth. Yourself is worth more to you than anything else. And that's sad. What a miserable way to go through life, just living for yourself. What a miserable way to go through life. You were created in the likeness and the image of God. You were made to sacrifice for something greater than yourself. Good luck being a self-focused, self-indulged, miserable, carnal Christian. Good luck with that. It won't work out. Now again, this verse is a verse that some of our Calvinist brothers will capitalize on to teach people that the elect, they're elect to salvation without respect to, their, to the individual's free will. And that doesn't make sense if you think about it. Calvinism, Reformed theology, 
says that the elect are predestined to eternal life and others are predestined to eternal damnation. This theology makes God out to capriciously choose some to suffer eternity in hell through no decision, through no part on their, of their own. And think about that, if that is actually true, then why is Paul suffering? Why is he doing that? Why, is he, why does he think he, he has to endure anything for the elect's sake? I mean, have you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Okay, that's your homework this morning. Go read how Paul suffered so that we could have the word of God. Who would go through that for no reason? I mean, it's rough stuff. Why go through all of that if people are gonna get saved anyway or go to hell anyway, no matter what you do? Bro, take your ease. Paul could quit the missionary life. He could just build his tent-making empire and live large and easy, you know? He could, he could live the, the, the vacation lifestyle. What's Paul saying here? Why is he suffering? Look at verse 10 again. This is what, peop- this is what most people miss. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, look at the last phrase, with eternal glory. That's why I'm suffering. His suffering isn't just so that they'll only be saved. God wants more for you. God wants more from you than that. He wants them to be saved with eternal glory. Man, praise the Lord. Paul's not describing some better class of salvation here in verse 10, but rather how the saved should be, how the saved should be destined. They should be destined to be with eternal glory, right? Ruling and reigning with Christ with eternal glory. Paul is suffering for the believers to have something more than just a place in heaven. Uh, You see this example, I'll just give you a, a couple here. Uh, Galatians chapter four, verse 19, he's talking about travailing in birth. Why? My little children of whom I travail, I'm suffering in birth again until Christ be formed in you. There he's talking about suffering, laying down his life so that his disciples could be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be mature in their faith. But here in verse 10, he's suffering as an evildoer. He's suffering for, I mean, look at, it's that, it's that the elect, any Christian, might rule and reign with Christ. You can't miss that because look what comes next in verses, verse 10's context. Verse 11 says, this is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, what, suffering? He will also deny us, what, reigning? If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. The invitation to every believer is suffer. Take on the fellowship of Christ's suffering that you might take up the ruling and reigning with him in his kingdom. This is how he opened the chapter. I mean, in verse two, we saw our mission. The things that we've received among many witnesses, those same things, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the whatsoever things that Christ has commanded us as disciples, we commit those things to faithful men that will teach others also. And as a result of that, that mission, we have to be willing to endure, verse three, hardship, suffering. Verse three gives the requirement. We gotta be able to endure, we gotta, be, we gotta embrace hardness like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now therefore endure hardness. 
as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so Paul models it. Check out Colossians chapter one. He says, you guys need to continue in the faith. Don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Uh, you, you, I, I preached it clearly to you, you received it. I'm a minister of that gospel. Watch this, verse 24, who now, right, I, Paul, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. It's a privilege to suffer so that you have what you need to move forward in faith. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, for the elect's sake, which is the church. Paul's our model. He wanted his disciples saved, but serving in such a way so as to have eternal glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that necessarily includes the millennial reign of Christ on through eternity future. I'll give you the cross references for it. Paul spells it out very clearly. This is why now in verses 11 through 13, we have four different if-then statements. You guys know what an if-then statement is, right? There are four if-then statements, conditional statements that he's gonna walk us through to illustrate or explain verses nine and 10. So here's how if-then statements work. If the appropriate condition is met, if the appropriate condition is met, then the appropriate response will follow. Is everybody with me on that? If I am good looking, then I can get a date. Right? If I have money, then I can pay for supper. Does that make sense? If I have character, then I will protect my date's integrity and spiritual purity before the Lord. I don't know why I use that for the illustration, but there it is, okay. <laughs> Thank God I'm out of the dating game. I think this year will be 32 years for us. Praise the Lord. I don't have to worry about what I'm gonna do on Friday night. I'm set, <laughs> like Chet. Okay, so here it is, here's the first if then statement. Look at verse 11, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, with Christ, the implication then is then we shall also live with him. Brothers and sisters, that's the glorious gospel. That's why we celebrate Easter. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose a victor or the dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ, hallelujah somebody, Christ arose, amen? We serve a living savior, he's in the world today. <clears throat> as surely as Christ rose from the grave to eternal life, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I too now have eternal life in him. He died for me so that I might live. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am dead in Christ, I am alive in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.15, you see it again. Jesus died for all. Why? Verse 15 says that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Your sin, the Bible says, separated you from God. You can never be a good enough person to gain heaven. You can never do enough right things. Right, doing the right things will not land you into eternal life. Going to the right church does not earn you favor with God. You need to be justified in the sight of God. 
And the only way you can do that is to accept Christ, Jesus Christ's invitation to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Because only in him, only through Christ, can you actually know God. Can you actually be justified before him? Acts 4.12 says, there, neither is there salvation in any other. You can't find salvation outside of Jesus Christ. For there is none other name get under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You must, in repentance of sin, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I just want to tell you this morning, if you don't know this morning that you are on your way to heaven, that your sin's been forgiven, that you've been justified before God, I want you to come see us after service. Let us show you from God's word how you can know that you're saved from your sin. Saved from your sin to eternal life. Now we see the second if-then statement in verse 12. So if we're dead in Christ, we're alive in Christ. That's how we'll sum up verse 11. Verse 12 says, if we suffer, then is the implication. If we suffer, then we shall also reign with him. So in verse 11, Paul is talking about the salvation of the saints, but here in verses 12 through 13, he's laying out the promotion of the saints through their suffering in their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Get this down in your notes, this is key. God always gives his people opportunity for advancement in his kingdom. Did you get that? Uh, you You can get a raise, you can get a promotion in Christ's kingdom. He always makes space for you to advance in his kingdom. This is, a, this is one of the amazing concepts of our faith. Check out Philippians chapter one. Verses 27 through 30 tell us how we're to live Christ. That word conversation in verse 27 is more than just what we say, it's, it's the way, it's how we live out the whole of our life. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. If you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life should be lived in such a way that it looks like you actually believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should be becoming for the gospel. That whether I come see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, how you're living, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And if you'll do that, if you'll be faithful with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will have adversary, there will be pushback you will suffer as an evildoer. Verse 28 says, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. You living the gospel, that shows the lost world that they're condemned in their sin. And they hate, I mean they hate that. Verse 29 just sums it up. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Not only can you be, not only do you get to be saved in the person of Christ, but wait, there's more. You can actually suffer for his sake. That's the privilege of the believer. You can advance in the faith, you can suffer for his sake. How wonderful is that? You can actually, you have the privilege to join with Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. You too can take up your cross and follow in obedience to the Lord's word. You see it again, the same thing, the same principle in Romans 8, verse 16. If you're born again, you have God's spirit and God's spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that we are the children of God. 
And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. If you're saved, God is your Father and heaven is your home. Nothing can change that. That's the result of the salvation of God. It's wonderful. But God always makes provision for more. There's always room to advance in his kingdom. So keep going. Verse 17 says, and joint heirs with Christ. Now this is another if-then statement. You can also be joint heirs with Christ. Why? If so be that we suffer with him. You will be a joint heir with Christ if you will rule and reign with Christ if you'll actually do what he's telling you to do in the face of adversity. Join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together, glorified with eternal glory. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the invitation to rule and reign with Christ. God gives you opportunity to suffer for his sake. Why? Because he wants to reward you accordingly. When he comes into his kingdom, he wants you setting right next to him. He wants you ruling and reigning with him. That's what Jesus wants. You see, when Paul wrote this to to Timothy, okay, the suffering was real. He was going through it. I mean, he is in bonds. He is doing hard time. Look at verse, look at chapter one, verse 12. He's a minister of the gospel. Chapter one, verse 12 says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. And then we see it again in chapter two, verse nine. Right, he's a minister of the gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. Verse 10, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake. You don't endure comfort. Do you get that? You don't endure ease. You don't endure getting your own way. You don't endure doing what you wanted to do in the flesh. You don't endure that. You enjoy that, right? Taking your ease, doing what you want, living your life how you want, the way you want. No, Paul said, the elect are worth it. I will suffer. Paul suffered for the elect's sake. He suffered for you. Man, thank God for the Apostle Paul. Paul understood that it'd be worth it all when Christ came into his kingdom to rule and reign with Christ. See, the original plan for, that was the original plan for God. When God put Adam on, in paradise, on, you know, in the Garden of Eden, it was so that he would rule and reign on behalf of Christ. He, Adam, and his bride should run the earth. But you guys have all read Genesis chapter three, right? This is why the world's in the mess that it's in today. Humanity is in rebellion against God through their sin and their sin nature. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they turned over the scepter, the rule, to God's arch enemy, the devil. And since the fall in the garden down to present time, Satan's been running the show on earth. That's why Satan could do what he did in Luke chapter four. Check this out, Luke chapter four, verse five. The devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain. And verse five says, and showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them You can rule and reign them, for that is delivered unto me. Okay, who delivered all the kingdoms of this world to Satan? Who delivered those kingdoms to him? Not Jesus, it was Adam. Adam and Eve turned over the rule. They lost the right to rule through Satan's deception. So for for that is all the power, right? The kingdoms of this world, that's delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. It's mine to give. 
If thou, wilt, if, th- if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. I love Jesus' response to the devil here. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So here's the devil offering the creator of the world. He's offering the Savior all the kingdoms of the world without having to die on the cross, without having to suffer for humanity. All he has to do is tell the devil he's the man. Show him reverence and worship. And the Lord rejected his offer because he knew ultimately he's gonna get the victory anyway. It's gonna be his because the word of God can't be broken, right? It, the, his rule and reign over those kingdoms is coming. Revelation eleven fifteen, the seventh angel sounded. There were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So Jesus is like, no, I'll wait. The first man, Adam, and his bride, they didn't reign for very long. But the second man, Jesus Christ, and his bride, the New Testament church, they will reign for a thousand years. The reign will be over a beautiful, restored earth. We'll be back to a Garden of Eden-type creation. A thousand years of perfect government, no devil. He's bound in the bottomless pit. The government will not be a democracy. It will be an absolute monarchy. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will reign and we will rule on his behalf. Revelation 3 verse 21 says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Are you, can you smell what the rock is cooking? Do you hear what the Spirit is saying? Do you see the offer? You're asking, I don't know if I'm an overcomer. Are you saved? Are you born again in the family of God? Look at 1 John 5. What an incredible promise. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. If you're born again, you're already an overcomer in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth Jesus is the Son of God. Man, if you're saved, provision has already been made for you to rule and reign with Christ. The question on the floor is, will you accept the offer? Because the path to that is to follow in the footsteps of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He carried that cross to Calvary. He suffered that others might live. He died that others might live. Will you follow in his footsteps? provision has been made for you to rule and reign one day in Christ's kingdom. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5 says that that reign continues on into eternity future. It's not just ruling and reigning. Check me out on it. Look it up. It's not just ruling and reigning with Christ. There's an opportunity to rule and reign with him for all eternity. The question is this, do you count Jesus worthy of your suffering? Will you actually suffer in his service? Do you count those saints that need to be one to Christ? They're not saved yet. They need to be discipled. They need to be trained and equipped. Do you count them worthy of your suffering? If not, you're wasting your life living it, you're just living your life for yourself. Again, good luck with that. You were made for more. See, that's our problem. 
We're spiritually nearsighted. We can't see the past the comfort of our own flesh. I mean, we've got people that won't attend church this morning because it's raining outside, much less take up their cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you, if there was real persecution, we wouldn't see hide nor hair of you. You'd run and hide. You'd walk away because it's too hard. And the invitation of Jesus through his word is, brother, sister, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Embrace the suck. It's worth it. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. All this suffering, all this tribulation, it's light affliction. It's nothing compared to eternity. For our light affliction, our, our light affliction which is but for a moment, I mean, are you going to live forever in this flesh? I mean, come on. Death or rapture is right around the corner. You can hold your breath that long. All right? It's but for a moment. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Stop looking at the temporal. Look at the eternal. Now, what happens if we don't serve him? What happens if we won't suffer in service to him? Well, that's answered by the third if-then statement of the faith. Verse 12 says, if we deny him, and who hadn't denied him at one time or another? We've all been guilty of that at some point, at some level. If we deny him what? The context is ruling and reigning with Christ. If we suffer, we'll reign with him. If we deny him that suffering, we're gonna take our ease, we're not gonna endure hardness, well then he will deny us a place of ruling and reigning with him. And you can't miss that in scripture. A lot of people run to this verse in order to prove salvation losing, right? Teach that people can lose their salvation. No, in verses 10 and 11, he's dealing with salvation. In verse 11, Paul changes the subject from salvation to the next step. He changes it from salvation to suffering, suffering in service to the Lord. So don't read into this verse, right? Don't read into verse 12 what's not there. If we deny him our service, our suffering, well then he will deny us reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you some more homework. Read 1 Corinthians chapter three and read 2 Corinthians chapter five. And you will see there are believers in Jesus Christ eternally, eternally slated for heaven. Heaven is their home, God is their father, and they lose reward. It shows how Christ will judge and reward his saints for their service. And here's the bottom line. You can lose reward. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose reward. Once you're born into the family of God, once you're made a new creature in Christ, once you've been made a child of God, once you're risen from the dead in him and now have newness of life, you can't be unborn. You can't be unmade. You can't be unrisen. No way, no how. That could not happen any more than Mike Miles could undo the fact that he had a son named Sam Miles. I mean, the worst he could do is kill me. He might have thought about it a few times over the years, but I mean, that's the worst he could do. He can't unborn me, he can't unmake me. You cannot be unborn out of the family of God. God gives us that assurance in his word. First John five thirteen says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. But brother, sister, make no mistake about it. You take your salvation and say, God, thank you for the trip to heaven. Now I'm gonna just continue in sin. Grace will abound. I'm gonna live my life the way that I want to. Brother, sister, you're gonna lose reward at the judgment seat of Christ. You will not rule and reign with Christ. 
If you deny him, he will deny you. Not salvation, but reward. He'll deny you a crown. God is absolutely fair, and you will only receive exactly what you've earned at the judgment seat of Christ. Salvation is yours. It was a free gift. You can't do anything to earn that. What you do or don't do, that can in no way affect your status as a child of God. There's no way for him to take that back, but your rewards, you must earn them. What else are we gonna do when we see what it costs Jesus to buy us back from sin and death and damnation and to make us part of his life? He laid down his life. He said we were worth it and he suffered that we might live. The least we can do is return the favor and lay down our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Second John verse eight says, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought but that we might receive a full reward. Well, that's pretty insightful right there. There's a full reward. Are you gonna get a full reward? That also means there's a less than full. Some people will be partially rewarded, and then some people will lose their reward. How are you gonna end up? Don't you wish you'd have bought, back in the early 2000s, don't you wish you'd have bought just a heap ton of Bitcoin? Don't you wish, don't you wish you could go back and buy like a thousand Bitcoin back when it was worth nothing? Wouldn't that be great? Like if you could go back in time 20 years and tell yourself anything, what would it be? If you're even remotely thinking, you will tell yourself, buy as much Bitcoin as you can. That's what you say, oh, if I could just go back and do that over. I wouldn't have to worry about anything for the rest of my life. I would have generational wealth. Okay, that's a silly illustration, a dumb picture of how so many people are gonna feel at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, I wish I could have come back. What was my life anyway but Christ? I wish I'd have poured it all out for his glory. I wish I had a, whatever God wanted, whatever his word said, I wish I'd have been all in because I see it now. Eternal glory, salvation with eternal glory. I got into heaven smelling like I've, just got back from hell. I mean, just 1 Corinthians 3, everything, all the works that I invested my life in, gone in the, in the judgment seat furnace, gone. What your reward and position will be in the millennial reign of Christ's kingdom is dependent upon your suffering and your service between the time you're born again and the time you die or are raptured, whichever comes first. And the Bible lays out the fact that some will rule with him over much, Luke chapter 19, and some over little. God keeps the record and he knows the facts and he will reward you rightly. That's why the Christian can serve Christ in the midst of great adversity, in the face of great heartache, great obstacles, because they understand the principle that not only have we received this glorious salvation, but and its eternal benefits, but we can also suffer for his sake. What a privilege to do so for the one who suffered so much for our sake. Oft the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. 
Life's trial will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race till we see Christ. Verse 13, we come to the fourth and final if then of the faith. Verse 13 says, if we believe not, right, or we're unfaithful as a result, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Man, isn't it good that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon us? Get this down in your notes. Our faithlessness does not nullify his faithfulness. You see the difference between those two words? All we have in Christ is because of what he did on the cross, not because of anything that we've done. That's, I mean, that is proof that God is faithful. It's not based on our faithfulness. No, he's faithful. Lamentations 3.22 says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Thank God for every new day, amen? (laughs) Yesterday was not impressive. Lord, thank you for a new start today. Praise the Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. No faithless act on your part will nullify or cancel the faithfulness on God's part. The fourth if-then statement here in verse 13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Why? Because God cannot lie. Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. Once he's given his word, he, he can't go back on his word. He can't say, okay, today you have eternal life, tomorrow you don't. If you can lose eternal life, it's not very eternal, is it? It's a terrible term if you can lose it. He can't do that any more than he can deny you reward once you've suffered in his service. You can say, well, he's God. He can do anything he wants. That's not true. We just saw in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, God, that can, God cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 says the same thing, makes the same point. It is impossible Hebrews 6.18, in which it was impossible, it was impossible for God to lie. So God cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. That means everything when you consider the great and precious promises of his word over your life. He will keep those promises to you because he cannot lie. If you suffer, you will reign. Nothing can change that. You can depend on the promises of God. You know, politicians, they make promises all the time, don't they? And you know what? Sometimes, I think it's rare, but sometimes I think they actually mean it. All the stuff that they promise, and then they get into office, and they face all these pressures. I mean, they see how the swamp works. I mean, they get the whole thing, right? They get into office, and now it's on like Donkey Kong. They run into pressures that make it impossible for them to keep their promises, and they end up liars. How do you tell when a politician is lying? Anybody got the answer? When their mouth is moving, that's how you know. (laughs) They're lying, that's, I said in my haste, all men are liars. It's never more true than Washington, D.C. God's never in a bind like that. He never has so much pressure on him that he can't keep his promises. He never contradicts himself. That's why you can trust his word. It is reliable, it is without error, and God will keep every promise he gave you in it. Live your life for his promise of tomorrow. Don't spend eternity regretting living your life with a focus on pleasing yourself in the flesh. What a waste of a born again child of God. Don't spend eternity with regret 
Because the few short years you had in the flesh, you refused to be on point, to be on mission. You cannot miss what we've seen in chapter two. We have a job to do. The whole planet is dying in sin and we gotta lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. So we gotta make disciples. That means we have to endure hardness as good soldiers. That means everything that you are, who you are in this world, what you're doing, your job is just the way that you fund your ministry to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, equipping, and sending people. Get on point. Get, take up your cross and follow because, man, wouldn't it be great if in the millennial reign of Christ we were, we were running Kansas City and its suburbs? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, somebody's got to do it. Might as well be us. Lord, help us. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Actually, bow your head, but don't close your eyes. I want you to have them wide open because you need to make a serious decision. Some of you, you need to choose you this day whom you will serve. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. Too many of God's people today are suffering. Not very badly, but you're suffering. And here's the worst part of it. You're suffering because of your own selfishness. You're reaping the wages of sin. You're suffering the consequences of your own sin. And you know why? Because you won't consider the word of God. You don't remember that you serve a risen savior who is alive today and wants to use you to reach others and your life is a mess. But even worse, worse than that, it's of no worth, of no eternal value because you're not willing to endure. You're not willing to play the role of a soldier, a steward, an athlete, or a farmer and endure hardship in reaching out to others with the gospel that you might have fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. For you, brother, sister, today is the day that you finally grow up and get equipped and get to work and endure suffering with us. Join us in the mission. And regardless the pushback, regardless, I mean, it's, every time somebody makes a decision to actually be a disciple of Christ, man, it's on like Donkey Kong. You'll have some relationship that's important to you rupture because Satan is, is, is working to derail you, to get you off mission. He'll try to distract you with opportunities. That girl, Single guy, that girl that wouldn't give you the time of day in another state where you can't get trained or get equipped for ministry, oh, all of a sudden you're the man. He'll try to entice you, whatever it is, he's gonna try to keep you off mission because the last thing he wants is for Midtown Baptist Temple to be a soul winning, disciple making, equipping and sending, a church planting church. He doesn't want that. And you're key, you're critical for that mission. It's time to grow up, it's time to get equipped, and it's time to get to work. How many would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I need to rededicate my life to Christ today. I need to grow up, get equipped, and get to work. Can I see your hands? I wanna pray for you. Okay, is there anybody that would say, Pastor, uh, before we finish, would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm born again. Please pray for me. Let me see your hands. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I'm not sure that I know Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
Let me, let me see your hand. I want to pray for you specifically. Okay, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay, I'm going to pray. And then you have the service now. You're responsible to respond. And if God is dealing with your heart, do not sit there. Do not wait for the service to end so you can leave. Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. Father, you see these hands and you see the, the two individuals that are saying they're not sure that they have you in their life. They don't know that they're saved. They don't know that they're born again. And so, Lord, today your word says is the day of salvation. And so, Lord, today help them to see that their sin, that's what separates them from you. Help them to see that your great love, it's for your great love for us that you sent Christ, your son, to be made our sacrifice. He died for our sin, he was buried in the grave, and he rose again on the third day to eternal life. And we, in repentance of sin, can call on Christ for mercy and forgiveness. We can call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, I pray that you'd bind the enemy and the lies and the excuses for why they can't surrender their life to Christ today. Bind the enemy, pour out your spirit in conviction, we ask. For my brothers and sisters that recognize they're wasting time, they're wasting their life. Lord, I pray that today would be a day where their character changes. That today would be a day where we recognize your call on our life and that we would truly follow as disciples. That we would embrace the suffering that comes with our service to the Lord Jesus Christ in winning souls and making disciples and equipping them for the work. Lord, help them, to, help them to not only recognize it, but to repent of that state, to actually engage, to get equipped, take that next step, uh, to grow in their understanding and training, but then use it to get to work, uh, to use it in the lives of people. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's worship together. If God is dealing with your heart, why are you still there? Come on forward. We've got leaders down front. We want to meet with you. We want to pray and we want to counsel with you. Uh, if you're like, I don't know, I feel uncomfortable. Don't be uncomfortable. You're already uncomfortable. Get comfortable uh, just being in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come forward. We want to meet with you. Let's sing. If you have need, you come.